Our scripture this morning begins in the second chapter of Acts on the day of Pentecost, beginning in verse 1. Hear now the word of the Lord. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole earth where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Syrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? And then continuing on verse 32, God has raised Jesus, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are witnesses to that fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out what you now see and hear. And then in verse 38, Peter replies, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven. All you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Our second passage this morning is from the 17th chapter of John's Gospel, where Jesus is meeting with the disciples in the upper room after dinner. He prays to the Father on their behalf. I have revealed to you those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given comes, everything that you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that the scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. 
As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. It moved. I'll go up here. No, okay. Just, Matt suggested I preach from down there this, this morning, but it moved. Shall we? Wherever. You know, one of the things we're also going to enjoy this week is, I'll come further back. Cause <laughs> cause otherwise I'm going to turn sideways. Uh, is Matt's wedding on Saturday, coming Saturday. And in the Anglican Church in the UK, when we do weddings, before the wedding, the Bride and groom have got to have their bands, as we call them, read out in church for three consecutive Sundays before the wedding. And when we get to the third one, we say, this is for the third time of asking. Well, that's just how I feel now. Because on Friday night, I found that I was preaching three times this morning. So this is for the third time of asking. So, as the bride is then acceptable, then now it's got to be good now, isn't it? And I give my thanks to the choir for the music and also for their tolerance because some of them have now going to have sat through this three times. But how much do you all believe in prayer? How much do you expect to receive what you ask for. Because I heard you all stand up and sing with loud and wonderful voices, O Spirit of the living God, thou light and fire divine, descend upon thy church once more and make it truly thine. Fill it with love and joy and power and righteousness and peace till Christ shall dwell in human hearts and sin and sorrow cease. Now, I heard you ask God for that. How many of you expect the Holy Spirit to come down today, just as you've asked, and fill this church? There, we've got at least one taker. We've got two or three in the back, because he's coming, and more down here. Because that's what you asked for. And don't complain if that's what you get. (laughs) Living with the Holy Spirit was the title I was asked to speak to today. Uh, My wife Jen and I greet you from the Anglican Church in UK, our own church in Crowcrook and Greenside. Send you all greetings. So living with the Holy Spirit. Living on Father's mission is impossible without the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. 
is the theme which I was given for this series of addresses that you're working through here in Alamo Heights. I didn't make it up. This is what I was given. And when I saw it, I thought, wow. Things have changed in this place since in the 90s. David allowed me to speak in the chapel on a Wednesday night. Not here on a Sunday, in the chapel, on a Wednesday night. And I feel sure that if David had been the superstitious type, which I'm sure he's not, he would have had all his fingers crossed with both hands when he let me do it. In the reading from Acts, we hear of what happened on that day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father, came upon the disciples. And they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. You know, the birth of Christ, the crucifixion of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, had all been leading up to that wonderful day when Father God fulfilled his desire, his desire to be in full relationship with the man that he had created. The relationship that he had lost when Adam disobeyed. Now, only through the death and the resurrection of Jesus was this made possible again. Now, so many Christians want to downplay this idea of baptism in power in the Holy Spirit. You know, they tend to view it as some of the crowd did at that time when it first happened. You know, as a bit too wild, a bit too wacky, a bit too misguided. Or, or well, it was okay for the early church, but it's not for now. Thank goodness. But Jesus is saying, Jesus is spelling out that this baptism in the Spirit is an essential for us to carry out our mission and just as essential as it was for him to carry out his after he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. In the Gospel reading from John, we're approaching the time of the crucifixion. As I understand it, Jesus and the disciples are sitting around, they're hanging out in the upper room after the supper. And he's filling in all the last minute instructions before he goes out to be arrested and sent to the cross. Jesus is rounding off his teaching and preparing them for what they have to do. Once he is gone, he's spelling out what his mission was and what their mission will be and what they will need to be able to accomplish this mission. So in many respects, this chapter is basically his preparation for us, preparing us, you, me, for what our life's mission is. So how best to complete that preparation other than by prayer? In the first few verses of the chapter, Jesus prays for himself. 
Now from verse 6 comes his prayer for the disciples. Remember that Jesus is the God of the now. So his prayers for his disciples then are his prayers for his disciples now, for us. And this may have taken place 2,000 years ago, but his words and prayers are as relevant to our lives now as they were then. They were his disciples then. We are his disciples now. And just as Jesus did not seem to pick anybody special in any way to be his disciples then, I think if you take a look around the church this morning, you'll see that criteria still holds good. That was a joke, but leave it. As I was reading verse 6, it struck me more forcibly than ever. In fact, in a way I'd never realised before, that the life of Christ, as written in the Bible, is not so much about Jesus and who Jesus is, but about Father God and who Father God is. Jesus, as it says, Jesus revealing God to the world. In verse 6, Jesus defines what he has been doing all his life. Jesus spells out what his mission was. The NIV, which we heard from, simply says, I have revealed you, that is Father God, to those whom you gave me out of the world. The Revised Standard Version says, I have made your name known. And the American Standard says, I manifested thy name. And I love that word, manifested. It seems much more three-dimensional, doesn't it, than simply, I've shown or revealed. I've manifested. And it may seem obvious that Jesus showed forth God's name. But back in Old Testament times, you will recall just how special a name was. In fact, God's name was so special that only one person, the high priest, could say it once a year on the Day of Atonement in the Holy of Holies. You know, nowadays we boldly write and sing about Yahweh and Jehovah, but the Jews never did. Jesus was demonstrating the meaning of God's name, God's character. And a number of years ago, nearly 30 years ago, when I was wanting to encourage others to get involved in Jesus' ministry of healing, I realized that the first principle to comprehend, the main fundamental for any disciple to know, to believe, to understand, right through their very bones, without even to have to think once, never mind twice about it, is knowing that it is the very nature and will of God to heal. No ifs, no buts, no whatevers, no depends on the circumstances. That is his will. Even as so sadly, we often have to accommodate death 
when we've been praying so earnestly for life. As I did when my late wife Dorothy died of cancer. But we have to have an indelible, non-erasable knowing that that is who God is. He is Jehovah Rapha, God the healer. Something he is, not something that he does. Jesus manifested, Jesus demonstrated healing, as you know. Another name for God, Jehovah Jireh, God who provides. So Jesus demonstrated provision. Feeding the odd 5,000 or 7,000 and so on. In reading this simple statement of Jesus, I have revealed you, manifested you to those who gave me out of the world, I realized more vividly that Jesus had been demonstrating to us who and what like Father is, right through his very being. Because Jesus didn't just want us to know about Father. He wants us to know Father. Jesus keeps telling us that he and the Father are one. But somehow, we keep thinking of Jesus and Father as being quite different. Yet even in these few verses, Jesus keeps spelling out the samenesses. He never describes differences. I invented the word samenesses because similarities doesn't have that same oneness of, 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 of meaning. Jesus and Father God are not similar. They have the same oneness. They're of one cloth. Verse 8, the words that you gave me, I have given to them. Jesus only said what he heard Father say. Jesus only did what he saw Father do. Yet, come on now, just stop and think. How many of us see Jesus and Father as very different? We have a picture in our mind of an old, gnarled man, old billowy grey hair sitting on a cloud. And of a young man with a trim beard wearing sandals. And yet Jesus is saying, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In Jesus we see the mind, the character, the very heart of God. In the Old Testament, God is the remote and visible king whose ordinary name men dare not speak. Jesus is saying, I have not only shown you God's name, but I brought that remote, that invisible God so close that even the simplest of men, you and me, can speak to him personally, can call on his name. Jesus has been showing us intimately who God is. Since the creation of man, it had been God's desire to walk and talk and discuss and have relationship with man. To have real relationship, you need to know a person intimately, not just about them. As, and as I said at the beginning, through the death and the resurrection of Jesus and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, it was made possible that at Pentecost, God could achieve this desire of his heart and have that oneness of relationship 
of living with us and in us and through us. And that's only possible with the Holy Spirit living in us. To 1 Corinthians, for who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. But even more, I feel Jesus is spelling out for us that revealing God to the world did not end with him. But that this mission of manifesting, revealing Father to the world was for them, his disciples to do then. And the same mission for us, his present day disciples, to carry on and fulfill. It's one of my heroes, my American heroes, one of God's general, Bill Branham, said, the gospel must be preached in this city and that city and to all the world for a witness. Then the Lord shall come. He went on to say, not theology must be preached, but the powers and the demonstration of the Holy Ghost must be preached in all the world for witness. Alison Morgan of Resource in UK reminded me that words are the carriers of meaning. Words are the clothes that thoughts wear. Some of us get very hung up, very uptight and narrow-minded about what we call preaching the word, being well-grounded in the word but we've got to bear in mind that the Bible is spirituality in print that logos not only means word but also reason the Bible is the thoughts of God and the Bible is not the meal and the end in itself it's simply the menu to all that is available in God through Christ Jesus through us then only through the power and the work of the Holy Spirit through us how do we do it? how do we manif manifest and demonstrate God to the world? what did Jesus do? what did he tell the disciples to do? Go, proclaim the kingdom, and heal the sick. And for disciples to all of this read, you and me, yourself, us. Jesus doesn't pray for the world, but he prays for you. Because you're going to have to stay in the world. We are going to have to do the ministering and the preaching and the proclaiming of the kingdom now. Demonstrating the powers of Father God through his Holy Spirit. And it's not just in churches and prayer groups. This has got to be out in the world. I mentioned this morning, a few years ago, I was up in Flower Mound in Dallas and taken to the house of a man called Bill Robinson. And Bill was sitting in a chair. He was having to be fed. He'd been an athletics coach. 
And he told me, he said, the doctors tell me my bones, my spine, is so soft you can dish it out with a spoon. And I thought, oh. Whoa, I just have to pray then. So he spoke to his bones and told his bones to get healthy for the marrow and the bones to get right and sick and proper and, and, and get rid of that sickness. And then I ran. Got out of there as quickly as I could. A few weeks later I got an email from his wife to say that Bill was now in physio. He was walking on a treadmill. And so the emails went on so that when I went back to Flower Mound to do a, a conference, do a course for them on strongholds, in the fall of that same year, Bill walked in without crutches, without anything, and sat down through that whole conference. I've seen backs healed on the golf course, arms healed in the supermarket queue, Air hostess headache healed in the aeroplane. This is demonstrating God's presence to the world, just as Jesus did. It's for us. Jesus is putting his trust in us. Jesus believes in you. Jesus believes that you can do it, you can make the difference. And he says that he has set you apart to do his work. We are ambassadors of Christ. We are ambassadors of the kingdom. As I say in my book, The Anointing to Heal, the Holy Spirit is the window into heaven. And we stand at the bottom of a funnel to that open kingdom. And when we're standing with somebody, the kingdom is open for all that is in the kingdom to be present in the now. For Jesus to pour out his love, his healing, all that he won for us on the cross into the present, the kingdom now. Other writers put it in different ways. In this chapter, John's Jesus spells it out. You are in the world, but you're not of the world. He has set you apart. You're not like other men. You have been equipped. You have been consecrated for this special task. You have been sanctified, made holy. Just as Moses consecrated the sons of Aaron to be priests, set apart for a special office, so are you. Can you start to get your minds around this? To absorb it and comprehend it? Because I'm not making it up. It's all here in what Jesus is saying in these few verses that you heard Matt read and you can open your own Bible and read it yourself. Jesus is praying to Father God, saying, Father, sanctify them in truth. Sanctify them in the word. 
He says, just as you sent me into the world, I have sent them. And it resonates with my favorite verse in Ephesians 4.17. Just as Jesus is, so are we in the world now. Just as Jesus is, so are you. Jesus is saying that we don't have to go hither and hither looking for big names and other names, searching for this one or that one who seems to have the truth or the power or the authority to pass it on to us, to impart to us. Jesus is saying, I am here. Just as the Father gave it to me, I'm giving it to you. I'm imparting it to you, wherever, whenever. It doesn't have to wait until Pentecost Sunday. Because every day can be Pentecost. He's saying, receive it. Rise up in power now and go and use it to glorify me. Manifest God in his kingdom now to the world in the power of my spirit. That's our mission, to reveal God to the world. By getting up each morning and saying, Father, how do you want to manifest yourself through me today? 1 Thessalonians. For our gospel did not come to you in word, but also in power and the Holy Spirit. Now somebody was telling me that it was nine years since I was last here. So maybe it'd be nine years before I get invited again, if ever. So I thought, right, I'm 80 in about six months' time. So I'll probably be about 90 when you call me back. So what have I got to lose? Let's go for it. You've been singing and asking to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So what I'm going to suggest now is that we stand and we invite the Holy Spirit. We invite Jesus to pour out his spirit. Hi, Rome. Hi, Chuch. Just spotted some friends. And Vince at the end. We're going to invite Jesus to baptize us empower us in his Holy Spirit sanctifying us in that truth so that we can go out and demonstrate reveal who Father is to the world well I didn't even have to ask you to stand thank you you got there before me now I'm going to be saying a prayer and you know like never sing what you're not going to be asking for never pray for something that you don't want to have or what you know they're asking. So I'm going to pray something like this. Father God, I thank you for sending Jesus into the world so that through his death and resurrection we might have eternal life. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you rose again from the dead and descended into heaven and sit on the right hand of the Father 
so that you could pour out the promise of the Father, the gift of the Spirit, on your people. We are your people. And then I'm going to ask you to say, come Lord Jesus, pour out your Spirit on me today. Baptize me, fill me, empower me. That's what we're going to do, so I'm going to do it now. Father, Lord, I thank you for sending Lord Jesus that through the blood he shed on the cross we might be washed clean. And by asking you, Lord Jesus, into our lives, we might have eternal life. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you rose again from the dead and ascended into heaven. And you sit on the right hand of the Father so that you can pour out the promise of the Father, the gift of the Holy Spirit upon your church today and baptize us in your spirit. So I invite you all to say, Father God, we thank you for Lord Jesus. And we ask you, Lord Jesus, to pour out on us now the promise of the Father, the gift of the Holy Spirit, and baptize us, clothe us, empower us in your Holy Spirit. And I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit to come now. You just stand and receive. Just stand and receive. And if somebody falls, as they did once or twice this morning, don't worry, they're not having a stroke. It's the Holy Spirit. And after the service, I'll be here to pray with anybody individually. So come, Holy Spirit. Come and fill. Just come. Oh, just, just come and fill and empower. And more, Lord. And more, Lord. Oh, yeah, take him. Take him. He's yours.